morning and welcome to Real Time with IPELRA, a podcast dedicated to HR and local government topics. I'm Christina White. And this morning is our season three finale, if you can believe it. And we're thrilled to have Jim Powers of Clark Baird Smith wrap us up. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Christina. Happy holidays to you and all of our listeners. Thank you, Jim. Back at you. So hopefully everyone was able to attend the legislative update a couple of weeks ago because you provided some very good information about what's going on in our great state of Illinois. Uh, but in typical fashion, the uh, the update has already changed in the last uh, couple of weeks. And I know you've got some new and exciting things to talk to us about this morning. So let's jump into it. Um, what sticks out most before we get into new stuff about the 2021 legislative update that you provided? Well, two observations. Uh, number one, the legislature came back with a vengeance. Uh, during 2020, because of the COVID lockdown, the legislature passed very few, if any, labor and employment bills. Uh, in 2021, uh, the legislature made up for lost time and enacted a, a series of various amendments and modifications to Illinois laws. Um, my second observation, though, really is a lot of these amendments in my humble opinion, are really solutions in search of problems, especially a lot of the amendments to the Illinois and Educational Labor Relations Acts. They really don't seem to be grounded in any type of problem that needs to be solved. It, it just seems sometimes the impression is that you that Springfield and the legislature tinkers for the sake of tinkering, <laughs> if you will. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the area, though, that does make the most sense uh, for new new developments is the area of COVID, uh, where we have had a few new uh, recent changes just since the last time I presented to our uh, to our membership. Right, and and I would agree with you. There are times when I ask myself, what are what is the problem we're trying to solve with these changes? But uh, sometimes I don't have an answer to that. Um, so with COVID, I mean we've been on a roller coaster, right, for uh, roughly. <laughs> It seems like almost uh, two years now that we've been on this back and forth, unknown, constant changes of COVID. Um, but you raised the question in your remarks about the federal government and whether they have the legal right to require employees be vaccinated. Um, can you share your thoughts with us about that piece? Yeah, and we've just had some new developments within the last two days uh, on December 17th um, that I'll talk about in a moment. But um as of several days ago, um, the common understanding and expectation was that the federal government does not, I repeat, does not have the legal authority to directly regulate workplace safety standards for public center, sector entities like our listeners. Um, the Federal OSHA Act applies only to private sector employers. So when you listen to the news and you hear about this 100 employer mandate um, and how private sector employers are going to be given the requirement of uh, implementing either vaccination mandates for their workforces or mask and testing mandates, that applies only to the private sector. It doesn't apply to Illinois public employers. The reason indirectly that Illinois public employers become affected is because of the unique way that Illinois has set up its workplace safety program. Illinois has developed what's called a state plan. And in order to secure federal funding for its state workplace safety initiatives, the state of Illinois has promised that it will comply with certain federal mandates. So one of those requirements is that whenever the federal government 
uh, announces and implements an emergency temporary standard for private sector employers, Illinois must follow suit and adopt uh, a similar standard that's no less stringent within 30 days. That is how Illinois public, the public sector gets looped into this. The, the issue up until recently has been that the federal courts have stayed, have uh, stopped or stalled the implementation of the federal mandate. And in light of that, the Illinois Department of Labor has done something similar and said, listen, until the federal government and until the federal courts figure out what they're doing, we're not going to necessarily require any Illinois public sector employers to do anything. Um, That has all changed. Uh, Prior to Friday, uh, a federal appellate court stayed the implementation of the federal OSHA mandate uh, that would have required employers, over 100 uh, employees, to either adopt a vaccination program or a mask and test program. Friday, late in the day, a different appellate court lifted the stay. It dissolved the stay. Within about a day of that federal court lifting that stay, the U.S. Department of Labor announced and said, full steam ahead. (laughs) We are now moving forward and requiring all private sector employers to either, again, adopt one of these vaccination programs for their workforces or a mask and test. Now, this has all happened in quick succession over the weekend. Uh, Here we are on December 19th on a Sunday. I fully expect the Illinois Department of Labor within the next several days to provide us some clarification about what they're going to do. Adding to the uncertainty, Christina, is the fact that, as you might expect, there are always appeals. Uh, All of the adversely affected employers and states that had sued to stop OSHA's mandate have now promptly gone to the U.S. Supreme Court and is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to stay uh, the OSHA mandate. So depending on how quickly the U.S. Supreme Court moves, (laughs) The Illinois public sector employers are sort of left kind of hanging in the wind. (laughs) We really don't know what's going to happen over the next several days. That's a lot to unpack, Jim. So just to make sure I understand. So local government, we are not subject to federal OSHA, but the Illinois Department of Labor has adopted rules that say they will basically carry forward whatever the federal OSHA mandates are to the state of Illinois level um, at a minimum. They can always obviously make it more stringent or strict, um, but at a minimum, they will carry the federal OSHA standards forward. And um, the Illinois Department of Labor in the last couple of days has now said they are going to move forward with the vaccination mandates for employers over 100. But right now, we're just talking private sector employees. Is that right? That's correct. The federal OSHA said that they are moving forward now that the court has lifted the stay. We're still waiting to hear what the Illinois Department of Labor is going to do with this. And adding to the uncertainty is all of this may be a moot point if the U.S. Supreme Court steps in and reestablishes the stay. Wow. So uh, we're still a little bit of, for at least us local government folks, we're in a waiting pattern at this point. But we um, are. And, we are. But, and, uh, but my recommendation from our presentation a week and a half ago still remains. And, and, and my recommendation would be, since there is so much uncertainty, I, I don't think it's a bad idea for our listeners to continue working on, in a draft format, 
in, uh, working on developing and drafting either a vaccination mandate or a mask and test mandate. Can't hurt. Uh, if it turns out that the U.S. Supreme Court steps in and stays all of this, or if it turns out that the Illinois Department of Labor, for whatever reason, decides not to move as quickly, um, no harm, no foul. All you've done is uh, spent a little bit of time developing a policy. At the very least, though, if you continue developing those policies that will comply at the very least with the federal OSHA mandate, you'll be that much so that if within the next several weeks the Illinois Department of Labor suddenly springs this on us, um, you will be, uh, our listeners will be able to implement this in short order. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties this morning, Megan Falera was not able to join us, but uh, she is with the city of Evanston right now, and they have instituted a vaccination policy or testing policy. So um, I'm sure she'd be willing to share that information with anyone who's listening. Um, Jim, if local governments move forward with requiring their employees to be vaccinated, do you anticipate um, you know, potentially legal action from the unions or from employees who are refusing or don't want to be vaccinated? Well, a couple thoughts about that, Christina. Remember that the federal mandate gives employers the option. You can either mandate vaccinations or you can mandate a test and mask process where if the employee decides not to get vaccinated, you just have to get them tested on a weekly basis. Um, so it, it much will depend on what our listeners decide to implement. If they decide to go full vaccination mandate or if they decide to go testing and masking. Um, if, they, if, if some of our employers and listeners decide to go the vaccination mandate, uh, there are several legal issues that you all are going to have to be aware of. Um, the first legal issue that you're probably going to have to grapple with is obviously some challenges uh, by some employees who just simply don't want to get a vaccine. Now, of course, you always have the option, the employees have the option of invoking a religious exemption, or they have mm -hmm. the option of invoking a medical disability exemption under Title VII or, and, uh, and or the ADA. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, though, we have seen various legal challenges by employees who just simply don't want to get vaccinated. And there are several laws out there that they have tried to invoke. One is the um, Medical Right of Conscience Act here in Illinois, which, interestingly enough, um, protects employees uh, from getting medical tests against their will that would violate their conscience. Uh, we have seen a variety. You don't even need to have a religious belief uh, to invoke that law. Uh, we have seen some recent uh, edits and modifications to that law uh, just in this last General Assembly that has clarified that that law was never, never intended to apply to COVID vaccinations or, or COVID preventative measures. Uh, that change goes into effect in June of next year. So I, it appears that that law is probably no longer going to be an option from some, for some employees who are resisting a vaccination mandate. Beyond that, though, um, you, our listeners should be prepared for collective bargaining demands for if they have collective bargaining units uh, representing their employees. Uh, while the consensus is that you probably would not have to 
uh, bargain over the decision to impose a vaccination mandate or a mask and test mandate. Uh, what you would probably have to do at the very least is engage in what we call effects bargaining, uh, unless there is a bargaining waiver otherwise contained in your collective bargaining agreement. And Jim, just because we referenced the federal OSHA standard again, the that is for employers, large employers with 100 or more employees. What about those uh, those of us in local governments that are less than 100 employees? How does that, if, if they choose to have a vaccination and or testing mandate, does that change your, your recommendations or what you foresee occurring there? See, that's where, that's where the uncertainty comes in with what the Illinois Department of Labor will do. Um, if the Illinois Department of Labor simply adopts uh, word for word, line by line, sentence by sentence, whatever the federal mandate is, then then you're right. Employers under 100 employees here in Illinois, public employers, probably will not be affected by this by this new development. Um, but there's no guarantee of that. Um, the Illinois Department of Labor could create an, a, an emergency temporary standard that is more strict uh, that is more extensive, that goes beyond the federal mandate. Um, in my humble opinion, I don't think the Illinois Department of Labor is going to want to do that. Uh, I think that they're going to take the path of least resistance, which is simply, <laughs> we'll, we'll just follow whatever the federal government has said. Uh, to do. Right. Um, copy and paste. Copy and paste is the easiest way, I think, for most state agencies. So I don't expect them to become more stringent and to go after employers of less than 100. But there is a chance, there is a possibility that, uh, and if that happens, if, if, if the Illinois Department of Labor implements something more stricter, then yes, then, then public employers under 100 may be subject to these same dual mandates. Okay. And if, if the department, if the Illinois Department of Labor uh, does not make the rule more strict and they just simply copy and paste what the federal standard is, um, if a smaller local government entity, employers less than 100, would like to implement a vaccination mandate or testing mandate, do they have any legal standing to do so? Or is that going to potentially create other issues because they don't have that federal standard or the state standard to fall back on? No, uh, it, it, it's the consensus is that even employers under 100, even if you don't have a federal or state mandate to fall back on, um, there is the consensus that employers do have the right to do that. Um, okay. And you, you just have to be prepared, as I said, for challenges by some employees who don't want to get a vaccination mandate. Uh, they may try various legal, uh, legal avenues, such as this Right to Conscience Act, which has been amended, as I said. Uh, they will certainly uh, be prepared to honor your obligations under Title VII for religious uh, exemptions and your obligations under the Americans with Disabilities Act for medical exemptions, and above all else, be prepared to encounter bargaining demands by your unions, um, not only over the effects, but I wouldn't put it past the unions to actually ask to bargain over the decision, uh, the decision that you've made to implement one of these vaccination or mask and testing mandates. Okay. Good to know. So also, um, when we had our update a few weeks ago, we talked a little bit about the Illinois Law Enforcement Training Standards Board um, essentially mandating vaccinations for police officer recruits. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Does that does that group have the have the right to require police officer recruits to get vaccinated? 
it's it's sort of an interesting dynamic that's going on uh, right now with that, Christina. Um, in September, the Police Standards Training Board, uh, we all believed, simply followed Governor Pritzker's executive order that uh, mandated either vaccinations or mask and testing uh, protocols for educational institutions. I have a feeling that because the Police Standards Training Board regulates educational institutions, i.e. police academies, they followed suit and basically copied the language out of the governor's executive order. Um, I have heard from a number of different public employers that are sending their police recruits to the academy that, interestingly enough, the academies are taking the position that all recruits must be vaccinated. There is not even an option for a mask and test uh, protocol, which is really putting our public employer members in a sticky wicket um, mm-hmm. while the academies are taking the at least some academies are taking the position that all recruits must be vaccinated subject to religious or medical exemptions um, they're not the ones that are going to have to entertain the religious or medical requests <laughs> really right. they're saying the burden falls on you public employers to have to navigate that exemption process and that reasonable accommodation process, which is really putting all of our employers in sort of an awkward position. Um, I have encouraged employers to go back to the academies, ask for clarification. But at the end of the day, in answer to your question, can the academies do this? I guess, uh, I guess they can put whatever conditions they want on, on what they expect their recruits to comply with. Um, no different than uniform requirements, um, uh, you know, standards of conduct requirements when the recruits go to their academies. Um, but I, I think what the, what the public employers are going to have to do is really be careful in terms of how they interpret and how they analyze any religious exemptions and any medical exemption requests from these recruits. There is some uncertainty over whether the standard that the academies are expecting public employers to implement really comply with federal law. I'll just give you the one example. The academies are recommending that employers demand, insist on a note from a pastor or a minister verifying the veracity and the validity of the religious belief of the recruit. Wow. That, that is somewhat at odds with what the federal government says is permissible. Uh, the EEOC and some enforcement guidance seems to suggest that that should not be a requirement, um, that someone's religious belief is not any less sincere simply because a minister has not uh, supported it or has not vouched for it. So I would tread carefully, uh, our listeners out there who have police recruits asking for religious exemptions from the academy, uh, I, would, I, I would tread very carefully when it comes to insisting upon minister or priest vouchers or verifications. Wow. Well, we can certainly spend all of our time talking about COVID because there's, there seems to always be something more to talk about. But I know there are some other updates that have occurred um, at least one since the legislative update a couple weeks ago. So talk to us about the, um, the fire battalion um, chief changes. Yeah, that's one of these changes to the Illinois Public Labor Relations Act that, in, in my humble opinion, it's more of a solution in search of a problem. Um, prior to Friday, 
uh, December 17th, which is when the law was enacted, um, it was somewhat difficult for fire unions to organize battalion chiefs. And, and for those listeners out there who, who have fire departments, they understand what I'm talking about. Uh, battalion chiefs usually are considered shift commanders. There is one in charge of each shift. They usually fall right below the deputy chief and chief. Um, and normal battalion chiefs, those fire commanders, are not part of a bargaining unit. And the reason for that, historically, is the law has made it quite difficult for battalion chiefs to be organized. There's a rule that says that any um, individual above that of a, um, uh, a company officer are per se excluded from bargaining rights and are per se excluded from bargaining units because they're per se supervisors. Mm -hmm. um, that has now been changed. They have now eliminated that per se rule. It is now going to be easier for fire unions uh, to organize battalion chiefs. They'll have to go through the normal supervisory statutory test, but it's going to be an easier pathway for those fire unions to try to add battalion chiefs to their underlying firefighter bargaining unit. Because one of the requirements that uh, employers have to prove now with this more traditional test is they need to prove that the battalion chiefs supervise, literally supervise for a majority of their day. And that has proven historically to be somewhat difficult to achieve. So um, the good news is even though the law was uh, enacted on Friday, it appears preliminarily that it's not going to take effect for another couple months. Uh, probably it won't take effect until June of next year. What that means is that for those employers that don't relish the thought of their battalion chiefs joining a union, and if they feel that there is some risk of the battalion chiefs expressing an interest in joining an underlying union, um, now is the time to pull out your job descriptions, to start thinking of ways of beefing up uh, or strengthening either the supervisory authority of those battalion chiefs or what we call the confidential authority uh, of those battalion chiefs. See, get them more involved in collective bargaining manners on behalf of your employer. Get them more involved in grievance processing. Get them more involved in disciplinary investigations. And the more you beef them up in those aspects, the better chances you might have of arguing and proving to the labor board that they are confidential employees that should be excluded from a bargaining unit. So based on that change, um, and then the other topic that we talked about at Legislative Update that if anyone missed, I think this is a really interesting and important one to talk about, um, is the November 2022 election ballot question regarding union rights. Can you, for those listeners that either missed it or um, weren't following along, can you talk about that? Because I think th these two things are somewhat related um, in talking about union rights and what's changing in Illinois potentially. Right. So this is something that's on the near horizon in 2022. Come November during the general elections, all of our listeners who live in Illinois will see a ballot measure that asks the voters of Illinois whether or not they want to amend the Illinois Constitution. The constitutional amendment is essentially going to, uh, it's called the, the Workers' Rights Amendment to the Constitution. And I, I will quote uh, selectively from what this amendment will do. 
It shall give employees the fundamental constitutional right to organize and bargain collectively. It will also say that no law that has been passed, no law can be passed that would interfere with, negate, or diminish the right of employees to organize and bargain collectively. Um, it would also prohibit any law or ordinance that would uh, in any way diminish bargaining rights. This is going to be a constitutional amendment. This is going to be, if, if passed, and would have to pass by three-fifths of those voting on the question or a majority of those voting altogether in the election. This would be enshrined in the Illinois Constitution, which raises a host of practical and legal concerns for our members. Um, the, the most troubling aspect of this is that it may tie future legislatures and tie their hands in terms of making future amendments to the Illinois Public Labor Relations Act and the Illinois Educational Labor Relations Act. As things now stand, collective bargaining is statutorily driven. Statutes can be strengthened. Statutes can be weakened. As we just talked about this battalion chief, from time to time, the legislature will tinker with statutes. They will give rights and they will take away rights. If this constitutional amendment is enshrined and, and voted on and approved, it arguably will take away the legislature's right to ever uh, modify the Illinois Public Labor Relations Act ever again. In other words, whatever rights that unions currently enjoy as of November of 2022 may be enshrined forevermore such that if the legislature ever changes hands and changes political parties and wants to tinker with the law by taking away some union rights, it won't be able to do so, which is kind of kind of a frightening, kind of a frightening uh, specter for all of us, because the Public Labor Relations Act is pretty union friendly <laughs> as we sit here today. And to have that enshrined and not be able to be changed forever after is, is, is kind of frightening. Uh, the other concern as well is that it may then open the way for other groups to organize. Query whether or not a group of supervisors who have been historically excluded from the Public Labor Relations Act's coverage or a group of confidential employees, human resource professionals, for example, what would stop them from pointing to the constitutional amendment and saying, listen, you can't exclude me from collective bargaining. I have a constitutional right to sit down with my public employer and to begin bargaining with that public employer, even though the statute doesn't give me the right to do so. So you may be seeing some uh, some expansions of collective bargaining rights to those groups, supervisory groups, managerial groups that have historically been excluded from that right. It's 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 a frightening proposition. And when we talk about putting something um, into the constitution. I mean, I think one of the key comparisons there is is the pension systems, right? The, the public employer pensions. If you've been following along over the years, the debate about the pensions and the extreme liability that the state has in terms of, of the funding of the pensions, they have not been able to make any real modifications or changes to the pension system to make it more viable long-term because it's a constitutional right um, that makes it incredibly difficult to make changes to it. Is that, would that be a fair comparison? 
you are absolutely right, Christina. That that analogy is is very apropos. Um, the, the pension, pen, the Constitution has a similar pension protection clause, which basically says that the Illinois legislature cannot in, uh, introduce or implement any laws that would deprive, would take away pension rights from current public sector employees. Same concept here. Uh, one could argue then that just as the legislature has not been able to solve the pensions uh, problem because the legislature can't take away current rights from public employees, the same arguably would apply here if this new union rights amendment is is uh, to the Constitution is implemented and adopted. And as an attorney, I think you could probably speak to this. Is it fair to say that there are statutes put into place on a regular basis uh, with great intention, but sometimes uh, without necessarily considering all the possible impacts and sometimes the impacts are unknown. So over time, uh, changes are made, amendments are made to improve or clarify or change things that maybe were not uh, well-written or adopted initially. And so again, making something a constitutional right sort of makes it very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, to make those corrections if something is not, turns out to not necessarily be the right thing or in the best interest of everyone involved. Right. And, 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 I, and I will caution our members, listeners out there, that you will hear, uh, you may hear some union representatives or you may hear some pro- at the Christmas dinner or the holiday dinner, say, no, 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 that's not the intent of this constitu uh, constitutional amendment. All we're trying to do is to prevent municipalities from passing what are called right to work laws. There was some mm -hmm. litigation about two or three years ago involving Lincolnshire, where they were trying to pass their own local ordinance that would make it more difficult uh, for unions to impose dues, uh, dues collection requirements on private sector employers that did work inside the four corners of Lincolnshire. That is part of this amendment. That, that is clearly one of the intentions, but the, geez, Christina, I'm telling you, the wording of this amendment goes much farther beyond that. If, if, that, was, if that was the only thing that this amendment would do, I wouldn't necessarily have too much of a problem with it. But the wording is so expansive um, that I, I, I unfortunately, I think that uh, creative unions and employees will use it to expand their bargaining rights beyond what supposedly is its original intention. So uh, as we wrap up here, I guess the, the nugget to leave our listeners with is to just make sure that you fully read those ballot uh, measures and understand the implications of what it's asking before you cast your vote either way. Yeah, I mean... Um... At this point, there's no we have no choice. This is on the ballot. It passed mm -hmm. the General Assembly. The General Assembly has authorized this to be included. Um, you know, short of actually hiring a lobbyist and and going door to door to your citizens in your community, knocking on doors or putting things on your website, warning them about this. There's there's not a lot we can do other than to proverbially proverbially or figuratively getting the word out to your neighbors to your family members uh to your citizens of your community that that there that there is a lot of bad things that can happen with this amendment and to be clear um if the ballot question fails um that does not in any way diminish the the current rights of employees to 
um, to unionize, to bargain, all of those things are still intact as, as it stands today, correct? That, that is correct. All of that would okay. still be enshrined in, in our two labor acts, uh, two statues that we have here in Illinois, correct? I just want to make it clear that we are not, we're not suggesting diminishing or taking away anyone's rights to bargain or unionize. It's just clarifying that that's a very different standard from uh, being um, statutorily required versus being in, in the constitution of the state. So um, we have covered a lot and there's a lot of meaty topics and certainly there's probably a lot more information that we could provide, but uh, we are at the end of our show here today. So Jim, I want to thank you so much for spending our season finale with us on this Sunday morning and providing all of that information. If our listeners would like to get a hold of you to ask any questions or for follow-up, how can they do that? Yeah, you can either call me or email me. Uh, my uh, telephone number is 847-378-7707 at Clark Baird Smith LLP. Or if you want to drop me a line or email me, feel free to email me at jpowers, P-O-W-E-R-S, at cbslawyers.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Jim. And listeners, we are here listening to you. So if you have topics for us to consider, or if you'd like to provide feedback on any of our podcasts, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can also um, join us via our social media pages at IPELRA on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, again, this is our season three finale. So we will have other programs in place for you Besides the podcast, uh, supervisory training is coming up in February. Uh, and of course, our most popular, most well-attended event, the Employment Law Seminar, is coming up in March, first Friday of March. Uh, registration for that will be opening soon, and we will be able to hear uh, others from Clark Baird Smith and probably including Jim provide us additional things going on with our, uh, our legislative uh, updates. So, uh, thank you again for joining us and thank you for being part of our season three. Have a great holiday, everyone.